just love the idea of being able to look out at this beautiful church. Man, you guys are so good looking. I love it. I love it. It's so good to be with you. Are you having a good time this morning? Good, good, good. Now, we are going to do things a little bit different. We have a guest speaker today, and this guest speaker is very special to me. Not only is he a friend of mine, but in the spirit of unity and regional connection, he is actually a senior pastor of a local church. Uh, so I want to make sure that when I invite him out here, that he has a very warm reception. One thing we know about Bridgeway is you better be warm, right? So we better have a warm reception, right? So one of the senior pastors of the church, Bayside Covenant Church, all the way from Ireland via Granite Bay. Would you welcome Pastor Andrew McCord? Thank you. You're too kind. Wow. Hey, how's, thank you. Oh, my mother would be so proud. Uh, well, yes, this is an Irish accent, everybody, and you need to listen very carefully because this is how you're going to talk in heaven. Yes. That's going to be God's gift to you, all right? It's going to be all green up there. It's going to be amazing, amazing. Well, what a privilege to be here. And I want to thank uh, Pastor Lance, Pastor Parnell uh, for having me here and all the staff and the elders. It's a real privilege. This is a great church. Are you? Yeah. You know. I've been to some lousy churches, and it's good to find a good one, eh? You need to celebrate it, you know, let's be honest. So uh, I want to encourage you with that. I bring you greetings from my wife. She's not here. Uh, she's back over at Bayside doing stuff there uh, this morning, but her name is Isabel, and uh, she's a French girl. Ooh la la. And uh, so that's working well, because we've got four kids. And... Uh, so we, we got we got Ben, who's the oldest, he's 22, and then we got uh, Dan, he's 20. And then I got my only girl in the world, my one and only girl. Her name is Abigail, which means father's joy. Oh, and that's what she is to me. And the only reason I moved to America was so I could buy a gun. So uh, I know where the bodies are buried. Uh and then I've got Nathan, who's 14 years old, 14 years old, and he, he's a great lad. So, but it's, it's so good to be living in America. America's okay, everybody. Oh, come on. It's a great place. God bless America. I really believe that. Uh, I'm really enjoying our time here. Um, they used to say that in Ireland, the two best days in an Irishman's year, okay, were his birthday and summer. That was the two best days in his whole year. Summer didn't come that long. When it came, take all your pictures that one day or afternoon. Uh, but here we've got a lot of sunshine and a lot of cool things going on. But I am here today to take part in your series, which I'm really excited about, which is all about the year of the king and going through some of the kings in the Old Testament. So if you're here and you're brand new and you're going, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, I thought I was going to Costco, but I got on the wrong bus. And here I am trapped. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and help you with all of this. So let's, before we go to the king, is it okay to start with the big story of God? Is that okay? So there was God. In the beginning, there was God. And he had no beginning. God is the Alpha and Omega. God's so cool that he actually finishes before he starts. Now my wife is organized, but she's not that good. 
He finishes before he starts. There was God in the beginning. It's God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's like the perfect band. They're better than the Beatles because they never split up. They're just incredible. God is in incredible, remarkable unity. He just stays in himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And sometime in eternity, pre-time, because time is created, my friends. Time one day will be wrapped up. There's a thing outside of time. It's called eternity. And it's been planted in your heart. That's why you look at the sky and go, this thing's way bigger than me. It's bigger than the universe. It's called God. Are you with me, everybody? Okay. It's called God. So God turned around and said to himself, let us make man in our image. That is really important, especially in the world that we live in today, where there's racism, sectarianism, and division. And we're going to be talking about that today. We got to remember that every single person in this room and on the planet is made in the image of God. We all are image bearers of God. So God says, let us make man in our image. So he made Adam, put him in this like really cool Disneyland experience called Eden. And he said, all the rides are free and you don't have to line up. Where you go, threw him in the garden. He was naked. It was like, yeah. And he was just like, but, but he ultimately didn't enjoy himself. And God said, there's something wrong. He needs help. So he made him a woman. How many men realize we need help? How many women realize men really need help? And the word there, the Hebrew word there, helper, isn't like, you know, a a little servant. It's more like God is our helper. It's on that sort of really useful level like God. And uh, and we need help. And there was like no battle of the sexes. It wasn't like, you know, who's wearing the pants in this relationship? Nobody, because we don't wear pants. It's really easy, everybody. It's really easy. And then we messed up. Look at me, everyone. We messed up. It's our fault. We messed up. We listened to a stupid snake. We bit the apple and God said, no, you're right. But you're not finished. Because God always wanted relationship. That's why he made us. He wanted to have relationship with us. Because you used to say that God came in the cool of the day. Our God's cool. And he comes in the cool of the day. Because he wants to hang out with us. And God says, I don't want to lose that. So we tried again with Noah. That didn't work. But then in Genesis chapter 12, there's a guy called Abraham. And God said, Abraham. And he said, yes. He said, I really like you. Wow. He said, and I'm going to bless you. Not because you've done anything. Not because you're a superhero. Not because you're part of the Fantastic Four. Or, you know, you know Thor. Or anything like that. Just because you're a really, 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 really good guy. Uh, Just because I like you. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless people through you. And all of the earth is going to be blessed through you. And if anyone messes with you, they're messing with me. How's that? Uh, That's good, God. Do you believe that? He said, yes. Well, that's all you need to do is believe. It's called promise. It's incredible. Abraham got a promise. And God says, I want to stick with your people. Who's my people? Well, you're going to have a son. And it was Isaac. And then he's going to have a son called Jacob. And then Jacob was going to have 12 sons. And one of them was called Joseph. And he had this coat. And his brothers hated him. And they human trafficked him to Egypt. Does that sound like your family? And, but it was all part of the plan of God because he wanted to save them from starvation. And God came to them in Egypt. And he said, I'm going to raise up a guy called Moses. And he's got a friend called Rod. And I'm going to show my glory through them. And I'm going to lead you. I'm I'm going to lead you because I want relationship with you. So God got in a cloud. Isn't that just incredible, everyone? The original iCloud was God. God got in a cloud and he led them that way during the day. And then he made himself fire at night. Yeah, God. And he made himself fire at night. And everyone was like, yeah, there's God. And God said, enough of the cloud, enough of the fire. I'm going to get in a box. Give me a box. Indiana Jones, everybody. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) 
It's great theology. No, it's not. Uh, and, and so God got in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Make a tent round it. REI. I mean, just we're going to travel. And I'm going to take you from being slaves because it's never God's will for anyone to be in slavery. Whether physically or spiritually. So he's going to take you through the wilderness, take you through the sea, take you through the wilderness. And I'm going to give you a land because I want you to be owners. And from this land that it's not about the turf, everyone, it's about the light. You're going to be a light to the nations. And ultimately the Gentiles are going to be blessed. And everything I say to Abraham is going to happen because of this piece of turf. And the whole world is going to be blessed. Yay, God. In the meantime, just organize yourselves and, you know, appoint judges. And so they appointed judges, and some judges were really good, and some judges were really bad. Sounds like California. Oh, it's okay. You like that too much, actually. Uh, and so, and so uh, they had really good judges sometimes, and really bad judges. And then they turned around and they went, oh, we're looking at all the other nations, and all the cool kids are wearing Air Jordans. We want Air Jordans, and all the cool kids have got a king. We want a king. And that really hurt God. Because God said, but I'm your king. This is a massive adventure and missing the point. I'm your king. He said, you don't need a physical king. You don't need a physical throne and you don't need a guy to get a palace. And you don't need a guy on it. You don't need to see that. You need to see me as your king. You need to be happy with the supernatural. Because I'm your king. Because your king is going to be locked to one throne. And you know what? I'm going to set my throne up in your heart and I'll be the king that will go everywhere with you. Come on, how cool is that? No, 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 no. Everyone else has a king and we want, we, we, we want to see stuff. And that's our problem, everyone, because you might be a raving atheist in here today. I don't believe in God. No, you do. You are a worshiper because we all want stuff. And if it's not spiritual, it becomes material. And we all have our stuff that we worship and find our confidence in and we polish and we shine and we ensure and then we bow down to And God says, come on, everyone, you don't need a physical king because I'm your spiritual king. And you don't need a physical God, an idol, because I'm your spiritual God. Come on, let's just do this because I made you in my image and you at your essence have a spirit. And I want you to relate to me a spirit to spirit. It's what John or it's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Flesh can only produce flesh, but the spirit produces spirit. And I'm going to do something radical inside of you. But they said, no, we want a king. I'm going to call this bit Game of Thrones, everybody. Game of Thrones. I've never watched it, but it is made in Ireland. It's a bit chilly for all that weird stuff. But um, here we are, Game of Thrones. King Saul was the first king. He said, I'll give you a king. His name was Saul. And he's defined by one word, disobedience. Why was he disobedient? Because he was a rebel. No, because he was a worrier. Mm. All the worriers are worrying right now. You've just given me more to worry about. He was a worrier. Do you know that you can't please God with worry? Because there's only one way to please God, and that's with what? Faith. That's the one thing. Back to Abraham. You believe me? Yes. Wow, dude. Like. But he was a worrier. And you know what he was worried about? Opinions of men. He was a people pleaser. When you become a worrier, you become a people pleaser, not a God pleaser. And then God said, oh, scrap that. We're not going with his line. No, I ignore Jonathan, great lad, but I want to go with David. Why? Because he's a worshiper. And his life was marked with devotion. 
If you're a worrier, you're going to be disobedient. If you're a worshiper, it's going to be marked with devotion. And then he had a son. He was called Solomon. Apparently, he was meant to be the wisest man in the world. And his life should have been marked with wisdom. But no, it was marked with women. So the D in his life is distraction. (laughs) He was completely distracted. Are we here to blame the girls, guys? Be very careful right now with your answer. (laughs) No, we are not here to blame the girls. It wasn't the girls' fault. It was his fault because God said, don't take the women from outside of Israel at this moment in time because I'm trying to do something in this dispensation to get us through to Jesus. After that, it'll be okay. But at this moment in time, I just need you to think about your own borders. Stay with the women up here. Don't go to those Southern California women. Keep them. No, it's okay. (laughs) I want you to stay with the good Placer County girls. It's just all I want you to do at, at this moment in time. And, and, but he said no. So he married 700 women. Hey, dude. I mean, come on. That's a lot of ceremonies. That's a lot of conversation. 300 concubines as well. I mean, it's like, who's getting Solomon tonight? I mean, crazy, everybody. I, oh, okay. That was awkward. That was awkward. But it was, it was just absolutely crazy. And then Solomon had a son and he was called Rehoboam and he's marked with division because God said, Solomon, you've left my way. I'm going to divide the kingdom. I'm going to divide the kingdom. There's 12 tribes. And the way it went was um, that the majority of tribes went to the north and they were called Israel and the big tribe, Judah, stayed in the south. Rehoboam looked after Judah and then this guy called Jeroboam, who was appointed by God at that point but didn't go God's way, he usurped and he took the northern tribes. They were known as Israel, right? And then the southern tribes were known as Judah. Jeroboam up here, Rehoboam down here in the south. Then Rehoboam died and he had a son called Abijah. Everyone say Abijah. There you are, Hebrew experts. Abijah. And uh, he was in conflict with Jeroboam. And so it was like your family at Christmas. It was a full-on fight. It was, <laughs> it was a full-on fight. It was like totally awkward. And it's, but this guy, Abijah, he's a conflicted character. Let me put it this way. I was watching BBC recently. And by the way, BBC, that's what Jesus watches. Because it's... <laughs> It's true. It's all true. And, uh, and there was an article about a zoo in Cairo. And, um, and everyone was going to the zoo, loving the zoo. And, and they, you know, went to see the zebra. And they would go and see the zebra and go, hey, lovely. Can we put that up? Lovely zebra. Nice zebra. We like you, zebra. Till someone at the end of the day went, hmm, it's not a zebra. That's a donkey painted as a zebra. Because the first thing was sweating and it started to smudge and started to go. Well, our king Abijah uh, was a donkey dressed up as a zebra, painted as a zebra. We have two accounts of his life, Second Chronicles 13. And Second Chronicles 13, it looks like, yeah, what an incredible man of God. First Kings 15, we realize that the outer life was one thing, but the inner life was completely different. There was dissonance in his life between those two things. He was jackal and hide. He was hero and he was villain. We're going to start talking about this division at home. We're going to talk about division today. He was a divided character, but he was born into a divided home. Let's read about that for a second. So divided home back to Jeroboam was in the north. 
the family were fighting. He was in the south and they went to battle one day. This is what it says now. There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Abijah began the battle with an army of valiant warriors. Look at the numbers here. 400,000 chosen men while Jeroboam drew up in battle formation against them with twice as many, 800,000 chosen men. Then in between, there's this incredible like William Wallace Braveheart speech that Abijah gives. It's all full of God and he's quoting the Bible and we believe in God and we trust God and we all would have been, yeah, 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 yeah. We love it. Second offering. Yeah, so good. Then, I don't mean that literally. Some people got nervous there. Second offering? No, no, he would have said that. So number uh, verse 13, now Jeroboam had sent troops around to the rear. This is his, this is like his brother, so to speak, but they're in battle together in the northern guy, so that while he was in front of Judah, the ambush was behind them. Judah, Abijah's guys, turned and saw that they were being attacked at both the front and the rear, and then they cried out to the Lord. The priests blew their trumpets, and the men of Judah raised the battle cry. Oh, they're doing full God prayer meetings. At the sound of their battle cry, God routed Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. My youngest son, when he was about eight years old, he just one day, just, you know, on an iron star, he just goes, Dad, see, when I grow up, I'm not going to get married. I'm just going to stay peaceful. <laughs> and I said, son, you mean single? He said, no, peaceful. I, I don't know what that says about our marriage, but, but. We do want a peaceful life. Is that correct? We all like a peaceful life. But the world, the re- reality is we live in a world full of conflict. We live in a world full of division. We were born into a world that's divided. Yes? I mean, some of the original gangs ever here in America, the Democrats and Republicans. I mean, it's just... It's just there's division, correct? There's division in our houses. There's division in the United Nations. There, there's division everywhere. And we got to think to ourselves, what am I going to do with the division? So here's some questions about division. Number one, am I a troublemaker or a peacemaker? There you go, real simple. I saw this article and it was from um, uh, Canada. And it was about this um, nephew and an aunt that won the lottery. They look at this, they won $1.2 million dollars. Okay. Does he look happy? The nephew, does he look happy? He's like, yeah, Fortnite forever. Yeah. But then the aunt, does she look happy? No, no. First thing she said was, I'll see you in court. Because <laughs> she didn't believe that he was due any of the winnings. But she just got like $600,000, everybody. $600,000 and she can't crack a smile. You see, James asked the question, where does all this fighting come from? Where's all the warring come from? He said, doesn't it come from something inside of you? Abijah was one of those guys who was fighting an outer war, but actually had an inner war that was going on inside of him. And you know what? We all know that in our lives. There's the person that we project and there's the person that we are. There's an inner war. And the whole idea of the gospel is to try and get the Prince of Peace to come into our lives, to crown him as king of our lives, so that we, before we look at having unity in the nation, we have unity in ourselves. A lot of us are not happy with ourselves, and the conflict is something that is happening on an internal level, and that's what we need to deal with. And some of us, there's a massive fight that's coming from hurt inside of our lives. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bob Goff. Ever heard of Bob Goff? He's a great speaker and writer, incredible guy. I had dinner with him recently and he told me this, that whenever he gets a brand new pair of pants, brand new pair of pants, he always 
cuts out the left pocket. First thing he ever does, he cuts out the left pocket. And whether it's just, you know, a pair of jeans, shorts, or used to be a lawyer, a nice suit, he would just cut out the pocket. I said, Bob, why do you do that? He says, it's just as a little reminder. Because sometimes I forget that I've got no left pocket. And what I do is I go to put my car key in it or a quarter, and it just rolls down my leg, out hits my shoe, and away it goes. I said, why do you do that? He says, because in life constantly and daily people are coming towards you and they're throwing hurt at you they're throwing pain at you they're throwing offense at you and you have a choice in life am i going to put that in my right pocket and literally live my life bulging with hurt and pain and offense or am i going to put that in my left pocket and let it slip through and that's what i do now when people come and they throw it at me i go let left pocket put that in my left pocket Because I'm not going to let that live in my right pocket. It's pretty smart, everybody. And this is what Jesus does. He gives you the opportunity to actually have a choice in life. I'm going to ask you a simple question. What makes you as a Christian different from the person who's not a Christian? Uh, Don't do drugs. Uh, Don't go to the bar every night and get wasted. Um, I'm a grass. I keep it really nicely cut. Jesus can see it from heaven and he's like, yeah. (laughs) Come on, everybody. What makes you different from everybody else? This is what makes you different from everybody else. You go through the same stuff that everyone else goes through, but you have a different reaction. You go through the same pain, the same offense, and the same hurt that people, that your neighbor goes through in life, but you don't walk around with a right pocket like this. You're living free because you got no left pocket. Are you with me? God gives you a choice on how you choose to live your life and what you do with all of this offense and all of this hurt. Question number two around division is, when I see a fire, do I bring water or gas? (laughs) Some people are just crazy. They're just walking around with gas all the time. They're just walking around with gas all the time, looking for fires, looking for fires. And they see a fire and they're going, that could be way bigger. Yes? Yes? A lot of people do drama in life because they offer you a part on stage. Don't take it. That's their drama. Don't read your lines. Don't rehearse with them. Don't be part of their show. I I once uh, watched a movie and Samuel L. Jackson was in it and uh, he was part of a group, uh, like a recovery group. And... um, he, you know, fell foul of his demons again and he was thrown in jail for a night. And one of the other, Ben Affleck, who was in the group, and he, he was, uh, went down to bail him out and, you know, get him out of jail. And he got, he came out of jail, Samuel L. Jackson, and he's just like, absolutely shouting and raging. I can't believe they put me outside and I don't deserve this. And Ben Affleck just looks at him and goes, you know what? Some of us in this group, we're addicted to alcohol. Some of us are addicted to drugs, but you, you're addicted to chaos. Because we're carrying gas in our hands. And everything's a fire. When God says, you know what? I want you to be a peacemaker. Because the Prince of Peace has come into your life. And I want you to do something. This Abijah was born into the conflict. Was born into division and only added to it. I was born into division. 
Growing up in Northern Ireland, our country had descended into almost like a civil war. It was crazy. My father had been a Royal Marine, came home to be like a law enforcement, just thought he would serve his community, not realizing that things would quickly descend and that because he was a police officer, he was seen to be as a legitimate target for terrorists and had to fear for his life. So that just introduced all types of protocols as we were growing up as a child. I'm going to show you an image of Belfast here. If we can just put the shopping one up there. This was like back in the 1970s. But to get into Belfast, like to get into the city center towards the mall, so to speak, you would have to be searched. And can you see the soldiers there? There's actually soldiers. The military were called onto the street to try and calm things down. In the city where Isabel and I planted a church, one building we used was bombed 25 times in 23 years. Twice it was flattened, the other times incendiary devices. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy time. And so because my father was a police officer, we just couldn't get up in the morning and head out into the car to get a ride to school. He would have to go out first. We had to stand around the corner beside the wall. And he would go search underneath the car with a mirror to check for a tilt switch. That wasn't good enough. He had to get in the car, start the engine, reverse the car a little just to check there was no bombs in the car. And if everything was good, then we'd get in the car. That was our routine every single day. It it was chaos. January 1st, 1977, I remember it. My dad, this whole occasion was just crazy for us. He got a knock at the front door. And a knock came on the front door. And at nighttime, that was never a good thing in our house. Because my father, okay, against security, protocols, things that he would have to do. When someone or your door was knocked at nighttime, you never just went and answered the door. Because someone could shoot through the door and try and kill him. So he would always stand to the side. Front doors here. He would stand at the living room door. Always have his gun. And he'd have it in his holster. Remember, 357 Magnum, he would hold it here. Just hold it. And he would say these words, Who's there? And as a child, that sent a shiver up my spine because my bedroom was at the end of the hallway. Front door here, hallway here. And this is the truth, everybody. And if you open my bedroom door, there was a head of my bed and I would sit up immediately because I was thinking to myself, the bullet goes through the front door, it's going to go up the hallway, it's going to go through my bedroom door, it's going to hit me in the head, it's going to kill me. So I would sit up. That's the way that I was raised. It was crazy. That particular night, front door goes, who's there? Dad works out, it's a neighbor, opens the front door. Neighbor says, Derek, I think I'm boom. Our street blew up. There's a car bomb planted in our street. And this is the aftermath of it. It was there to try and kill police officers and prison officers on the street. It's a street that I grew up in. I rode down there on my bike and played there as a child. Sadly, just down the street, a young couple, they were also warned. And neighbors were trying to get out. And they picked up their little 18-month-old boy. And he was killed with the shrapnel of that bomb. My father was the first police officer on the scene and you can only imagine the carnage, the pain, the dismay, the hurt. My father that year, in May of that year, I can still remember coming home from school. Long story short, neighbor said, you need to come with us today. And little did we know that my father had been um, shot and it was mistaken identity. He was young detective chasing terrorists. They just robbed the bank, right, fundraising. And uh, he had a gun in his hand, was chasing them. And a young soldier, only 18 years old, shot him with the most powerful rifle in the world. Thought he was a terrorist. Hit him in the chest, went straight through his chest. Left a hole the size of two fists in his chest. Almost severed his right arm from his body. But he lived. I actually had the privilege of telling this story just uh, last week at the um, very sad memorial service of that beautiful police officer, Natalie Corona. Just trying to offer some 
comfort and empathy with the parents and with the family. My father survived. My father was so impacted by what happened in Northern Ireland at that time. But this is what he said to me. He said, Andrew, I've had police officers die in my arms. Lots of his colleagues. And I've had terrorists die in my arms. But I've spoken Jesus over both of them. And this is it, everybody. Listen to me, this is it. We cannot let the outside get on the inside. We've got to let the inside affect the outside. Because we live in a world of division. And in the midst of living in that world, we cannot cocoon ourselves into our little lifestyles and think that we can protect ourselves through homeschooling. No, no, no. And if you're a homeschooler, great. Listen to me. Or by sending your kids to the best school or by living in a gated community. How many people know hurt gets through? But what it is, my father lived in a divided society, but he had a whole heart. Why? He was injured physically, but emotionally and spiritually. He kept himself together because his hope was in God. His hope was in God. And this is what he chose in life. I'm not going to go around with a bucket of gas now because I've been so hurt. I'm going to walk around with a bucket of water. I'm not going to be a troublemaker. I'm going to be a peacemaker because the Prince of Peace still rules in my broken body. Still rules in my broken body. It's not easy this, everybody, is it? Division. Am I part of the solution or part of the division? <laughs> what am I doing? Can I just be honest for a second? Would that be okay? Or would you rather me lie? <laughs> Um, I came to America three and a half years ago and you all had your scary face on because the election was happening. It's kind of scary. Is it okay to say that? It was like a little, it's exciting to be here and scary at the same time. What's happening? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. And so you got that whole sort of Donald and Nancy division going on and uh, and then there's other tensions is it safe to say that maybe the country is just a little divided right now the divided states of America it's a little divided right is is it safe to say that okay so it's a little divided and so just about a year and a half ago we got a phone call from Rick Warren and uh, how many people heard of Rick Warren? Got that little church down south. Um, and he was really concerned about race relations. Really concerned about race. So he just said, quickly, emergency summit. Want some you know, pastors, leaders from around uh, the country get together and we need to talk about this. So we turned up and uh, about 50 people in the room. Pastor Rick says, uh, introduce yourself and say why you're here. So I introduced myself and I said, I'm here for two things. Number one, to say thank you. I want to say thank you to the American people. Why? Because we had this conflict in Northern Ireland and and, uh, President Bill Clinton said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and help with that. I'm going to put it right up my agenda and we're going to try and bring peace to Ireland. And he got it so far. And President George W. Bush, he got it over the line. So I said, I'm here to say thank you. The Democrats and the Republicans really helped us. Everyone's offended right now. So there you go. So they really helped us. So I'm here to say thank you. And I said, I'm here to learn. 
because I, I don't know what's going on in America and I'm from the outside and I'm coming as a student and I'm just here to learn. Okay, that's great. Pastor Rick opened the floor. He says, come on. What got us into this problem? What's going on? Well, emotions ran high. I mean, we're talking about Christian leaders, pastors. They're hurt people. People are hurting out there. And one African-American pastor, he got up and he, he just said this here. He says, it really hurts me, frustrates me when white pastors say, you know what? Oh, we're colorblind. I'm like, never say colorblind. <laughs> never say colorblind. Never, never. Underline, underline, underline. He said, we're not colorblind, but we are color blessed. Always say color blessed. <laughs> so I'm, tr- I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn. And then in the afternoon, uh, we started talking about solutions. What solutions are we going to try and bring? And there were st- various socioeconomic ideas thrown around and stuff like that. But then this man, his name is uh, Bishop Ulmer, and he, he's 71 years old. He's the pastor of a church in L.A. He's an incredible guy, just an incredible guy, godly guy. So he said, would you mind if I said a few words? And we're all like, please, please, please. We'll take our shoes off. It's holy ground. You know, the bishop's speaking. Bishop's speaking. And he says, let me tell you a story. And he said, I was 10 years old. And my father got me out of school to go on a boat trip. And it was just a one-day trip. And he said, so we walked up the gangway. Dad had his ticket. I was behind him. And there was a white official at the top of the gangway. And he said to my dad, you can't come on this boat today. And the dad said, no, it's okay. I've got a ticket. I've got my boy out of school. He's got full permission. We're good. And Bishop Ulmer said this with tears running down his face. He said, that white official racially abused my father in the worst possible terms. He said, words I couldn't say in this forum today. My father turned around, humiliated, embarrassed. And we had to walk down the gangway. And he said, before I hit the riverbank, before I hit, I hated white people. And you and I know not all white people are like that. But at that time in his life, that was his exposure. And he said, I hated white people. Ten-year-old boy. And I hated them for the next five years. He says, until one time I was brought into a church and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, and I bowed the knee and I opened up my heart. And his love flooded my soul and drove out all the hatred and all the bitterness in my life. He said, not only from that moment that I love African Americans and love white people, I loved the world. I loved everybody. And this is what he said that day. He said, so I would submit to you that we should continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ for it's the only thing that can change a dark, racist soul. It's the only thing that can do that. And I realized, come on, it's it's a complicated issue. And we got to talk about other stuff. In church, we got to do more than preach the gospel. We've got to look at various reforms and how are we going to help our nation come together. But I do believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is a great way to start. It's a great way to start. Am I part of the solution or am I part of the division? I don't know if you've ever seen this because this is way bigger than America, everybody. It's way bigger than Northern Ireland, Catholic and Protestant. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture before, but here's the big ship. The big ship goes, where are you from? Earth. Earth. Can I take you on a journey? 
I'm going to take you on a journey. I, I, want you to, I want you to work with me. I'm going to get my Irish passport, my Irish passport, my green passport. And I'm going to put it down here. And I, I want you, so just respectfully, would you get your American passport? And would you set it down with my Irish passport? And would you go a little journey with me just way back, way back, way back, way back to the beginning of our sermon, way back to a place called Eden. A way back to a place where God made man and he made woman and the only thing that they had in terms of identity back then was the image of God. They weren't Irish. They weren't American. They weren't Catholic. They weren't, they weren't any. They were just God's kids back in the garden. And it was sin made things really difficult. And I love my Irish passport. And you love your American passport. And listen to this here. My kids are completely messed up. They got an Irish passport. They got a British passport. They got a French passport. They got American green cards. They're like Jason Bourne. A little safe in the room, you know. They go, I mean, they're like all of them, but, but listen to me, and I love who I am, and I love my identity, but bigger than being Irish, British, French, American, or whatever you think you are, I am a child of the kingdom of God. And there's some things and there's many things that I need to do to celebrate my culture and do all of that. But ultimately, I submit to the Prince of Peace. I submit to the one that can only bring divided sides together and help them find neutral ground at the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I suddenly understand what the kingdom of God is about, I never talk about them and us or us and them. I talk about me and neighbor because everybody's neighbor this is not a talk on immigration this is a talk on salvation for God so loved the world world and I know it's complicated but God loves the world (sighs) You you want another question Am I ready to chop down my family tree and plant a fresh oak? Because a lot of us, never mind nation or nations, we're born into divided homes, separated parents, divorced parents. Pastor Ray started Bayside. He said like for 130 years, they just had divorce in their family. He and Carol got married. They're now celebrating 35 years. They're trying to chop down an old family tree and plant a fresh oak. Yes, it's not easy. And, and look at me. And here, family's not easy. Look, if, can I just talk about your family? It's not easy. Are the Waltons here yet? <laughs> Swiss family Robinson. Is anybody? I mean, come on, everybody. No one's got the perfect family. All families are a mess. The first family killed each other. That should encourage you. <laughs> You're doing all right. It's not easy, family. You ever heard of Billy Graham? The world's greatest preacher didn't have a perfect family. And his funeral, his daughter got real vulnerable, told the story of how she messed up. Look at this.
<laughs> and many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, Rock Mom. Jesus. I'm mad. Jesus. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. Mm. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain, and our hurt, God says he welcomes us. Incredible. <clears throat> My old pastor in Scotland 25 years ago, he said this. He was a sharp, canny character. He said, when people hurt you and walk out of your life, and eventually they come back, walk into your life, he said, at that moment, they're not on trial. You are. This God thing's not easier. It's easier to hate. Isn't it? It's just easier to hate. I hate you. You hurt me. Stab. Have a psycho moment. But God thing says we're going to love. Right, just work with me another couple of minutes. He had a divided house. But the real key here, everyone, is a divided heart. Have you ever looked at something before and you think to yourself, I know that real good. And then you look at it a different way and you go, I never saw that before. Oh my goodness. Have you ever done that in life? I mean, how many people like Baskin Robbins? You all like your Baskin Robbins? Okay. 31 flavors, ice cream. Yeah. Look, has anyone ever seen the 31 and the B and the R? Can you see that everyone? Yeah. Yeah. You're glad you came to church today. 
The three and the one. Who had never seen that before? The three and the one. Look at that. That's all you're going to be doing. Just bringing that up in your phone, showing your kids. Look, kids, look. Look what we learned in adult church. Amazon, Amazon. Look at, look at Amazon here. Okay. You, you think to yourself, it's, it's A to Z. Okay. Sorry. You think it's a smiling face. I give it away. Sorry. You think it's a smiling face, but it is. We deliver A to Z. Do you see that? Can you see that? A to Z. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And then Toblerone. Okay, I love this one, Toblerone. We eat this chocolate in Europe. You get it at Costco at Christmas. How many people have seen Toblerone before, Toblerone? Have you ever seen the bear on the mountain? Look at the bear on the mountain. You see that? Isn't that cool? You're all like, ah, I feel like Buddha right now. Like there's light coming off me. You're all like little minions. Ah. Okay. And, and this last one, look at this here. This is, you have got to look very careful at it. Look very, very careful. A lot of people at this, and all they've seen for years is a soccer ball, but look careful, look careful. It's a football, everybody! It's a football! It's a ball! It's circle, and you kick it with your foot, okay? I'm only joking. You, you know, you know what we should have on the screen? A heart. Because you know what? We look, we, we look at our own heart sometimes and go, I'm good. I'm good. But David said this twice in one psalm. He said, search me and know me, O God. I, I mean, God, put me under the x-rays, CAT scan and MRI, do the whole thing. And he says it again at the end, search me and know me and see if there be any wicked way within me. God, I want you to, to look at my heart. And our friend Abijah here was the boy on the battle and he was going, yeah, big speeches, God, 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 church, 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 pray, 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 the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. But his heart was far from God. If I just put up verse three here, look at this. First Kings 15. This is the other side of him, the other report. He committed all the sins of his father, had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Some simple observations here. It's possible to have a different walk from your talk. Yes? Look in the battlefield, he said this. As for us, the Lord is our God and we have not forsaken him. Rubbish, garbage. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. It's possible to have the front and the face, but live in a completely different way. It's possible to quote the Bible without really believing it. He says this, Second Chronicles 13, 5 on the battlefield. Do you not know that the Lord, the God of Israel, gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons? I know the promises of God, but I don't seek them. I go after them when I'm in a battlefield emergency situation, but the rest of my life, I don't put God first. It's possible to fall into the will of God without following the will of God. The Israelites fled before Judah and God delivered them into their hands. He won a victory on this one occasion. Dressed up in religion. Do you know that it's possible to strike it lucky sometimes? But it doesn't mean that you are living under the favor of God. And I think that what he says to us is simply this. What does it mean from an Old Testament king called Abijah? I don't know if you'll ever say his name again. What can he possibly teach us? I think he can teach us this in America today. That it is possible just to have enough, a sort of like a sprinkling of Western religion and Christianity in our lives to inoculate us from the real thing. 
It's possible for us in the United States to say I'm a Christian because everybody's a Christian and not really know the Christ. I think it's possible to go to Bayside Church, Bridgeway Church, even be on staff and not have the real deal in our lives. Everyone to be a painted donkey pretending to be a zebra. And yet we don't fool God. Abijah was on the battlefield. He was talking, you know, Sunday school, church, God, prayer meeting, doing all of this stuff. But his heart was far from God. And God said, I don't want perfection, but what I am looking for is some reality. Some reality. And I get scared about this today. That as we live here, that Jesus just becomes a middle class add-on to our lives. Mortgage, pool, you know, I've got a yacht in the pool, a helicopter on the yacht. You know, we've got everything ticked off in our lives. Yeah, go to church, really good. But I'm going to ask you, what does it really mean for you to be a Christian? I mean wholehearted, not half-hearted. I'm talking about wholehearted devotion. What does it mean for us today in America to really live for the... What do we sacrifice? And we go, oh, well, a tithe. That doesn't belong to you. It's not like heaven's going, wow, wow. God, you give them 100%. And look look what they did. They give you back 10. Oh, how incredible those people are. God give us everything. It's not a sacrifice. I think there needs to be some part of us that just goes. We've got Jesus, everybody. We've got Jesus. And Costco doesn't come close to that. Your cabin in Tahoe doesn't come close to that. This is Jesus. We find the treasure in the field, everybody. Sell everything, buy the field. We find what life is about. We find the answer to every single person's question in life. To every broken person. We've got the solution, everybody. And we've got one life to live. And we can't be half-hearted with Jesus. Because when we look at the cross, we see a Savior strung out naked. Back to the garden, everybody. The second Adam hangs naked but broken and bruised. And somehow we see the image of God through him as he reaches out to a broken world. And said, I want to raise your closet where all your skeletons are. I want to get all the junk out of your life for all the evil things you've done and the guilty feelings that came with it. I want to forgive one and I want to take away a horrible conscience in your life. And I want to give you a brand new start. Not that you can be middle class. So that you can be free. Look at me parents in this room. Parents, I know you love your kids. You want the best for your kids. You send them to the best schools or you keep them home and you homeschool them. You do the best for them educationally. You do so much. Your phone is beeping all the time as their results come through. You're that helicopter mom. You're the drone dad. You're just constantly watching over them. You do the same with sports. Sports in America. You parents, you're crazy. I'm just going to say this. It's not God's will that you would be an Uber driver for your kids. You take them everywhere. They're playing baseball, American football. They're doing synchronized swimming. They're playing chess. They're doing everything. 
And we were always told when we were kids, you know what, we play sport, but we worship God. And I kind of think that maybe turned it around and we worship sport and play God. What are we showing to our kids' parents? Oh, you best read the Bible. No, read me. Read me, son, because I love this Christ. I love this Jesus. He gave his life for me. I'm not going to give him a tip and a tithe. He deserves so much more than that. He deserves everything. He is everything. What are we showing to our kids in terms of like real living it for God? Yeah, they're set up like Einstein and they're going to swim like the best Olympian in the world. But what do they have in their soul in terms of living the adventure for God? Are you with me? I don't want to be a half-hearted person going to make them quarter-hearted kids because it dilutes in every generation let me tell you how do we go from david to abijah how do we go from a guy that just said i want to do one thing and that is stay in your temple all the days of my life down to mess with god play with god Finished with this. Uh, last year, Isabel and I, we married 25 years. Uh, yes. <clears throat> and some people came to us and said, you're married 25 years yet? Um, would you like to use our house in Hawaii to celebrate? And we were like, uh, yes. <laughs> it was God's will for our lives. And, uh, and so oh, it was just amazing. They made this happen for us. And when we were there, we went in this four waterfall hike. Climbed up, climbed up, four waterfalls. Yeah, coming down. It was amazing. And then at one point, I saw these young guys. And they weren't going down, walking down. But what they had found a rope beside the waterfall. And they were swinging and jumping off into the pool at the bottom. And I was like, yeah. So I started walking that way. And Isabel said, where are you going? And she said, I said, I'm, I'm going to jump off the rope. And she said, you're going to die. <laughs> it's been a great 25 years. She started checking our will and insurance. And, um, and so I got in line behind the young lads and they're like jumping off and going, whoa. And I'm behind them and I'm going, whoa, this is bigger than I thought. Eventually it came to my turn and I stood there for 15 minutes and they went, hurry up, mister, hurry up. And I'm holding on to the rope and I don't know how, but it, eventually I took the leap. I, I took the leap. And, and in your mind, you always think to yourself, yeah, just take the leap, take the leap, take the leap. That's not it. Because you take the lead and then you swing out and you come to that sort of axis in that point before you start swinging back again. And then you go, oh, there's like this realization to jump in. I got to let go. And I think for a lot of us, let's be honest, we're still holding on to the rope of religion. We're hovering over the great purposes of God. We're so close, but we're swinging on the rope of religion and it's hallelujahs and it's amens, but we've never really let go to jump into the full purposes of God. We never got wet. And we keep coming home dry and our kids are going, but you're dry. Are you with me, everybody? Let's pray. Can you just stay in your seat? Don't worry. Costco will wait for you. Just just wait. <laughs> just really quick. Okay, I'm probably going to finish this though. 
But I don't want to rush this because this is important. Your eyes closed, head bowed. If you are here and you're not yet a Christian, you're here and you're not yet a Christian, but you're going, ah, Andrea, I, I don't understand everything, but I do know today I want to be fully devoted to God. I want a relationship with Jesus. Well, if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? I'm going to help you become a Christian. It's real simple. I'm going to say a few words. You just repeat them each time. Are you ready? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me on that cross. You died because I'm a sinner and I confess that. So Jesus, would you take my sin and give me your forgiveness? Would you take my past and give me your future? And will you take my lame life leadership and become my Lord and God? And again, with your eyes closed, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. And you're going, oh, I'm so nervous. It's okay. You don't have to come to the stage and do river dance with me. We're not going to embarrass you. You're just going to raise your hand and it's me and you. Are you ready? So if you prayed that prayer and you really meant it, would you right now put your hand in the air? Put your hand right up. That is so encouraging. Wow. That's amazing. You can put your hand down. I'm going to speak to Bridgeway people. Bridgeway people, give me your eyes closed, head bowed. Come on, don't get religious on me. Bridgeway people, you've heard the message. I'm asking you, if you want to be, if you're saying today, it's, I'm going to let go of the rope, God. Whenever you ask it, I'm going to jump. I'm, I'm going to try and do this every day. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to be half-hearted. It's hold-hearted because Jesus, you, you deserve that. If that's you, would you right now raise your hand? Come on, Bridgeway people, let's be honest. I'll, I'll never remember, but God sees what you're doing right now. Just a little act of worship. That is so encouraging. And Lord, I pray for these people. Lord, give us courage. And I, I jump in with them, Lord. I'm no different, Lord. Because i got the mic, Lord. I'm the same as them. I have worries and concerns. But my prayer is, God, give us the heart to live this one life fully devoted to you. Amen. Now, would you look at me for one second? If you're here and the first round of people that raised their hands to become a Christian, can we really encourage those people that did that? Because that's why we do this. So, prayer team. Prayer team, can you walk forward? Prayer team, any prayer team in here? Just walk to the front. So, we at Bridgeway think this would be really good. If you raised your hand to become a Christian, instead of walking that way... Why don't you just say, I'm going to come up and talk to one of these really cool people and they'll help you in the next steps. And maybe you're here and you're going, something touched you today in the sermon. You're thinking, actually, I want prayer to sort of like seal the deal. Or maybe you're just in here and you're kind of broken and you're just going, life's been tough and I just need prayer. These people are here to pray for you. Otherwise, would you have a great day? And thank you so much for listening this morning. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.